the message today. So basics of life, as you could tell from the, the lyrics in that song, it, it's really about uh, just being a good reminder for us of what it means to be a Christian. And, and you know, it's in the world that we live in today, it's just there's more and more stuff that's drawing people's attention. And somebody says, well, it's okay if you believe this, or if it's okay if you believe that, or it's okay if you just don't believe anything at all. But hopefully, we know, if you're here today, that, that you know something about Jesus Christ. And, and if you're here today, hopefully you understand that being called to be a Christian is being called to be set apart from the world. Now, there's a, uh, there's a, a word that, that Paul uses in Scripture called sanctified. And sanctified simply means that, to be set apart. And as followers of Jesus Christ, if we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, then that means that we are sanctified, you know, to be not, we live in the world, but that means we don't have to be of the world. Yes, we, we look and like everyone else, but that doesn't mean that we live like everyone else. And so I think over the next few weeks, we get a good reminder of what it means to live as a Christian. And we do it not so that people look at us and say, oh, what a great Christian you are, what a wonderful person you are, but we do it so that people see Christ in us, so that God is glorified in us and through us and through our actions. So these next few weeks, it's just simply a call to return to a simple faith and follow the will of our God who loves us. You know, sometimes when we talk about Christianity and, and what it means to be a Christian. And, you know, if you were trying to explain to someone that, you know, we are, to be a Christian, we have this rule book and it's called the Bible and it's kind of big and it's kind of extensive and there's a lot of words in there that you're not really going to understand. You know, it's kind of like some of our company handbooks, you know. You ever, how many of you work for a company, an industry or whatever, and you have a company handbook? Now, uh, how many of you actually read that handbook? <laughs> And then how many of you who read that handbook actually understand everything that it has to say? You know, you get into some of this legal language or whatever. So let's face it. I mean, if you owned a company and, and you had this kind of handbook and you were going to hire people based on them reading the handbook and passing a test, we probably wouldn't have employees. You know, so when it comes right down to it, if we meet someone who wants to know about Christ and we just hand them a Bible, say, here, start reading but give them no other guidance, no other direction, nothing else, chances are they're probably going to read a little bit and they're going to come back and give it back and say, forget it. It's just too hard. It's too complicated. Sometimes we want to make out what it means to be a Christian. We want to make it difficult. You know, so I think we just need to get back to this idea of understanding Christ with a simple faith. You know, the faith of a child, a childlike faith. You ever, ever look into the eyes of a child when they discover something new? And their eyes are all aglow with wonder. You know, and that's how it needs to be with us. When we share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone, we just do it in a simple way. You don't have to have a, a seminary degree. I've got a seminary degree, and I don't understand it all. You know, so you don't have to have that. You don't have to be a, a, a scholar and have a doctorate in theology or anything like that. You just have to have this simple faith and a love that, well, is blind, like the song says, that, that we're just going to love everybody regardless of who they are, where they've been, what they've come through. Our goal, our call is to, to love everyone, and we do that by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So each week we're going to look at two principles. Like I said, today we're starting off with the B and the A. Now, you may be sitting here and think, well, I, I know all this. I get all this because, again, it's very simple. This is stuff that you've probably heard before. But please don't tune out because I think that God has something for you today. So I just pray that you will open up your hearts and your minds and you will let the Holy Spirit speak to you and stir you. So we're going to start at the very familiar passage today, John 
If you're like me, you probably learned this. Many of you may have learned this as a kid. And if you're like me, you probably learned it in the King James Version. But I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. This is uh, actually the version of the Bible that I've used probably most frequently at this point in my life. So uh, it, it reads like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now think about that for a moment. For God the creator of the universe, the God who created everything that you can see and everything that you can't. From the, you think about everything around us goes all the way down to the subatomic level. And everything from subatomic level all the way out to the vastness of the universe, the galaxy around us. God created it all and he knows us intimately, each one of us down to, well, our subatomic level, if you will. And yet he loves us so much that he did this thing. He sent his only son. And he did it so that whoever has a belief on him and and makes him Lord of their life won't die. Now that doesn't mean physically that these bodies won't eventually give out, give way to some disease or some tragedy because we know that those things happen. But what that means is that within us, on the inside of us, the spirit that is our true self, that spirit's going to live forever. It's up to us to figure out where that spirit's going to reside for all eternity. So if you think about it in those terms, it means a lot more than just this fleshly thing that we carry around. So this is a question of eternity. For God so loved the world, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So that's where we start today. Um, Now, you know the story, or maybe you know the story, but from John chapter 3, we find this man, and and if you have your Bible, you want to flip back over the beginning of chapter 3, you can. I'm not going to read all that scripture there for you, but basically this man by the name of Nicodemus. You guys remember? You guys ever heard of Nicodemus? Nicodemus was what? Everybody remember? He was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were not exactly great friends of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that all of the Pharisees weren't beginning to ask questions about this man, who he was, where he came from, and was he doing, how was he doing some of the things that he was doing? Because it was not deniable. Jesus had shown up, and Jesus was starting to to do some miracles. And the thing about miracles is it wasn't just Jesus and a couple of people. It wasn't just like some parlor tricks and doing card tricks. You know, Jesus was doing this in front of crowds. And people were, see- <clears throat> were seeing and people were seeing amazing things beginning to happen everywhere that Jesus went. And so you can imagine that the Pharisees began to talk and began to ask questions. And as a matter of fact, Nicodemus shows up and, and he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. Come from God because no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. So even some of the Pharisees had begun to question, even though Jesus would um, kind of buck the system, you know, and he began to kind of threaten the Pharisees' way of life because they were leaders and they had status and people looked up to them and Jesus was beginning to change things. And well, how many of you like change? I mean, be real, right? Well, the Pharisees didn't like it either and they didn't like Jesus coming around and doing the things that he was doing and saying the things that he was saying because again, it, it was a threat to their way of life, not just who they were as Pharisees, but also this Jewish way of life, this this way of life of the Israelites. And so Jesus explained himself to Nicodemus. He explained his mission. Because Nicodemus at this point never recognized Jesus as the Son of God. 
But this is where in chapter 3, where, where Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Put yourself in Nicodemus' place. You're going and you're really seeking some answers. You're trying to figure out what in the world's happening here. And he says, you've got to be born again. Now, if you've been raised up in church or you have a church background, okay, that probably registers with you because at some point, you know, you had some preacher stand up and said, you've got to be born again if you want to get into heaven, you know. And so, it's, okay, I want to be born again. And we didn't question it because it's the preacher said it, right? But here's Nicodemus, and he's thinking born. He's thinking being born, physical birth. He's like, well, I can't go back into my mother's womb and physically be born again. That's physically impossible. Uh, but Jesus goes on to explain what he means by being born again. He's talking about being born of the Spirit. And so Nicodemus was, you know, again, beginning to learn and beginning to understand. And Jesus would have explained these things. I can imagine kind of the, the wide-eyed wonder of Nicodemus as Jesus really began to unpack some of these things in his mission and, and why he was here. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so, again, so I'm sure Nicodemus is trying to process all of these things. And then he gives us this most famous verse, that verse you've seen, you know, on boards at, at football games and all kinds of other sporting events. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But the thing about it is, as well as we know that verse, and we need to understand that Jesus then goes on, and we pick up there in verse 17, because these all go together. These are all the words of Jesus. Sometimes we forget there. And he said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name the only Son of God. Do we see a pattern here? Jesus didn't come to point fingers and cast people into hell. No, Jesus said, if you've believed, then you know what it means to be born again. But if you not believe, then, then you're already condemned because you choose not to believe. You see, it comes down to a personal choice, doesn't it? And so the first letter of basics is B, and that means we want to start with B belief. You know, when we say believe, we're not saying believe that Jesus existed, that Jesus was just a historical figure, but believe that he is who he says he is. So you got to ask yourself that question this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that Jesus came to this earth, born of a virgin, raised, lived a sinless life, and then died on a cross so that you and I might be forgiven of our sins? You see, see that's where we start. Do we believe that Jesus did all that, that he is who he says he is. Because you can go back throughout history and, and you can look at some historical uh, records and you can find out that there was this man named Jesus who lived around the same time as this Jesus that we read about in the Bible. And, and there is some historical evidence of this person existing. And, and you can say, oh, I believe that. And I believe there was a Jesus. But this belief we're talking about is going so much further than that again. It's believing that he is who he says he is, and that he truly did come to save the world. You know, throughout his ministry on earth, Jesus continually called for people to believe in him. You know, throughout all of the Gospels, Jesus says, do you believe in me? Now, the thing about it is that many people believed in Jesus because of what they saw. Now, think about this. What if you were in that crowd 
that day that Jesus gathered with his disciples out by the sea. And this, uh, you know, he's been teaching, he's been talking, and then his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, they're getting unruly over here. You know, they're getting a little hungry. You know, can imagine if we showed up and the preacher just kept talking and talking and talking, you know, on a Sunday morning, and Sunday morning goes into Sunday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon, and you're like, dang, I am getting hungry. I don't know how much more less can take. You know, that's probably kind of what happened with Jesus. You know, they showed up. They were expecting a nice, you know, 30-minute sermon, and we're getting out. We're going to Shoney's for lunch, you know. But no, that didn't happen. They showed up, and Jesus is talking, and he's teaching. He's like, Master, the crowds are getting hungry. They're getting hungry. So Jesus said, okay, what are our resources? What do we have to work with? And then uh, one of the disciples shows up and meaning well. Jesus, I found this kid over here, and he has his lunch. His mom thought, well, his mom uh, was well-prepared, and she packed his lunch. He's got a, you know, some bread and some fish. It's a little bit, enough for one boy to eat. Can you imagine the other disciples kind of laughing? It's like, what are you thinking? There's, now, understand, too, the, the, in that passage, the Scripture tells us that there were 5,000. But you've got to understand, and... Ladies, my apologies, but simply the, uh, the gospel writers did not always count the ladies nor the children. So if you figure a crowd of 5,000, many scholars believe that that crowd of 5,000 was actually a crowd of 12 to 18,000. 12 to 18,000 people. And we've got a few fish and some loaves of bread. <laughs> so you can imagine their disciples like looking at the crowd and you're looking at Jesus, and they're looking at the crowd, and they're looking at that basket and said, yeah, right. And Jesus, what did he do? He took it, he blessed it, said, here, pass it out. Everyone ate, and there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Just as you put your hand in going, you know, yeah, there's nothing left. It's empty, right? And, and it was still full. And it just kept that way as it went all around. So you can imagine being in the crowd, just seeing that alone. You'd think, well, there's something to this guy. Maybe I should pay attention. And that's just one of many of the miracles that Jesus performed. So you can imagine as Jesus was going around teaching that people were seeing the miracles and they were seeing lame people get up and walk, people who hadn't walked. Do you remember the story about the, the man who had, hadn't walked? He was paralyzed and his friends took him to this house, and they, they wanted to get in to see Jesus because they knew if they could just see Jesus, maybe Jesus could do something about it. And the, the crowds were so great, and they couldn't get in the house, and so they, they went up on the roof, and they cut a hole in the roof. Can you imagine the homeowners going, what in the world? You know, They lowered their friend down, and Jesus said, what are you doing? Get up, take your mat, and walk. You think that everybody there didn't believe there was something special about him? You see, Jesus did all of these miracles, and many people came to believe because of the things that they witnessed, the things that they saw. But think about those who didn't see. And then sometimes someone had to have faith before they got the miracle. In in Mark chapter 9, there's a a story about a, a man who comes to Jesus, and he'd already been to the disciples. His son had a demon. He was possessed. And and, and from a modern-day perspective, medically, we might look and say, well, he, he just suffered from epilepsy. Because what the man describes is he talks about the boy going into to fits, basically into convulsions, having seizures, what we think about it. Um, but Jesus recognized this, this boy as being possessed. And he'd already been to the disciples, and they prayed over him. They couldn't, 
drive him out, drive out this demon. But he brings him to Jesus. And Jesus reminds him in verse 20, he says, All things are possible for one who believes. And so then the the father of the child, in verse 24, says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, now that seems like a strange statement because you can say, well, if I believe, but I still have this unbelief. It's like, well, how can you have unbelief and belief at the same time? But did the two go together? So there's this tension between faith and belief here. But the father takes what little faith he has and he tethers that to Christ. And then he asks for help just as he is. In other words, the father recognizes that he's got this little bit of understanding about who Jesus is. And he's got some things that he's heard about Jesus or else he wouldn't be bringing his son to him in the first place. And so he has this little bit of belief. He's like, okay, Jesus, I think you can do this. But, you know, as a a dad, this is what I want. I want my son to be healed. I, I want him to be well. But I've seen what happens and I've seen when he convulses and when this demon throws him into the fire and and all of those things. And I've seen all of this happen. And yet... I want to believe so badly, and I believe in you, Jesus. Help, help that part of me that's still struggling. Help that part of me that, where there's still unbelief. C.H. Spurgeon, who was uh, Charles Spurgeon, is a, uh, he was a um, pastor and a speaker and author and had a lot of great quotes. And one of the things that he said is, while men have no faith, they are unconscious of their unbelief. But as soon as they get a little faith, then they begin to be conscious of the greatness of their unbelief. Now think about that for a moment. And I think that's what he's talking about here is, is really this, uh, this dad. And the dad says, look, I believe, but man, I am really struggling. There's this whole section over here that I really haven't given myself over to fully believe in you and who you are. But you got to start somewhere, right? It's baby steps, baby steps. If we can begin to have that kind of faith, if we can begin to understand, if we can begin to believe in who Jesus is and move forward, then what will happen is God will help us with the other part of us that is still stuck in unbelief. You see, this lesson tells us that Jesus will intercede even when we have just a little bit of faith. We just have to trust that God can act even through that small amount of faith. You know, I think every day we deal with things that we we have some faith and we have some belief in without even really thinking about it. Now, how many of you got in a car or a vehicle of some kind and came here this morning? All right. So when you got in your car, you put the key in the ignition, unless you get one of them fancy little cars, you punch the buttons, you know. You you put the key in or went to start it, and as long as you know that everything's been going well with your car and you've kept it maintained, you've done all the things you're supposed to do, Did any of you hesitate when you started and think, oh, man, I hope this car starts before you start? Now, you might have if you've been having problems with it, but everything's been going well. You probably didn't hesitate. You just got in. You start it right up. And if it doesn't start, you you want to get it fixed so that your belief then is restored in your vehicle. Now, how many of you, when you got out of bed this morning, thought before you put your feet on the floor, I hope I don't fall through the floor? Now, that seems a bit absurd, right? Because you get up every morning, you get out, you put your feet on the floor, you get out of bed. But in the back of your mind, you know, in the back of your, somewhere back here, there's, there's faith that that floor is going to hold you, right? Things that we don't even think about. How about when you got in the shower 
You turn the water on. As long as everything had been good, you don't think about it, right? Until the water comes out and it's not warm. And then you're like, oh, I better check the hot water heater. But most mornings when you get in, you turn the water on, you just expect that it's going to warm up, right? You have this belief that your, your system is going to work, your water heater is going to work, and that when you get in, you're going to have a warm or a nice hot shower. You know, there are a lot of simple beliefs that affect us each and every day, and most of them, again, we don't even give a second thought to because we trust that our belief is true. Well, if we have a belief in Christ, shouldn't that affect us as well? Our belief in Christ should have an effect. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Again, that he came, that that he is who he says he is, that he died and was resurrected, and that one day we will spend our eternity with our Heavenly Father because of our belief in Jesus Christ. So there is that belief. But now we need to understand one thing about belief because in his travels, uh, in his ministry, Jesus encountered demons. And every time he encountered a demon, guess what? The demons recognized Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They accepted that this was the Son of Man. However, they were fallen and they weren't going to get saved because of that. For us, though, when we, it starts with our belief and then it goes from that belief then to an acceptance. And that's the A then in basics. Believe and accept. We accept Jesus Christ. You know, there are a few realities that we simply must accept in our basic understanding of Christian faith. First of all, Does everybody know this world that we live in is broken? That this world is dark and it's broken all because of sin. When sin entered into the Garden of Eden, the world from that moment was broken. It was not the same. It was no longer the paradise that God has intended it to be. And ever since that moment, mankind has been in need of salvation. You know, God carried that salvation on through Noah and Abraham Moses and the prophets, and then he sent Jesus. You know, sometimes you want a job done right, you got to do it yourself. He sent Jesus. He came to do what we could not, what we could not do ourselves, and that was we could not save ourselves. You see, so we accept that we are in need of our Savior. I mean, I know Christians who walk around acting like that they can save themselves. They walk around acting like, you know, that, that um, yeah, sure, they know Jesus, they know God, but they really don't live their life like Christ has seen effect on them at all. And yet I also know some non-Christians who really don't have a clue. They live their life as if this is all there is. And if this is all there is, then it's a very sad place to be. You see, Jesus came to do what we could not do ourselves. Romans 3.23 says this, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, that doesn't mean that there's just a few of us. That doesn't mean it's just some of us. That doesn't mean that there's just a select few. What that means is that each and every one of us was born into sin, and we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We are all sinners in need of something we cannot get on our own. We fall short of the glory of God. Now, here's the thing. You can be an amazing person. And there are, no doubt, some amazing people in this congregation this morning. And you can live a great life. And you can be nice. And you can be great to people. And you can give to charity. And you can support people. And and you can do things for people. And all kinds of wonderful 
amazing, great things that help out humanity as a whole. But you understand that any one single sin, a wrong thought, a wrong deed, any one single sin separates us from God. So even if you lived a perfect life, except you made one little mistake somewhere along the line, that one sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. Because God is perfect. You know? God is our measuring stick. And God and his perfection is something that we cannot measure up to on our own. But you see, here's the thing. When we believe on Jesus Christ and we accept him into our, our lives as our Lord and Savior, and, and we begin to live a life for Christ, giving our life over to him to serve God, then what happens is Jesus becomes our Savior. We accept Him as our Savior. And that means when God looks at us, He doesn't see the brokenness. He doesn't see the flaws that exist within us. What He sees is Christ, His Son, reflected back. Because Jesus comes in and His blood covers all of our sins. And so when Jesus looks at us, it's not us that He sees. He sees Christ in us. And that's where we find our salvation. That's why we need Jesus Christ. Just before Paul, uh, or just before this passage, Romans 3.23, Paul talks about the manifestation of the righteousness of God for everyone. Then right after that, he speaks of the gift of grace that brings us redemption through Christ Jesus. And redemption is one of those churchy words we throw out there. Does anybody know what redemption really means? In its simplest form, it just simply means to be paid for, to be bought back. So we accept that Jesus paid it all. And in our belief, we accept that he did it because we need it. So, who's a sinner? I am. How about you? Say that with me. I am. You see, if you believe it then you know that you need a Savior. You need Jesus. And there is no other Savior besides Jesus. And that's part of our acceptance. We accept that there is no other way. Now, here's the thing. If you watch TV and you, you spend some time reading the Internet and all of these kinds of things, there are a lot of people out there that will claim that there are other ways. Some of them will say that if you just live a good life, if you just do things the right way, if you're nice to people, if you're good to people, some will say if you send $5,000 to my organization, it will be a great thing for you. you know, so, so some people will just say as long as you're living like right, living good, living well. But again, the reality is Jesus said in, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he didn't leave it there. He went on to say that no one comes to the Father except by me. Now, some people might say, well, you know what? You Christians, you are intolerant, you know, because we should all love each other, right? We should all learn to get along, and we should all, what is the, those goofy bumper stickers that have all the world religions and philosophies and all that stuff and say, coexist, right? We should all coexist. Well, I believe we have to learn to love humanity, and part of that is coexisting. But let me tell you something. Coexist doesn't get along in heaven. Because Jesus said, and it may sound, but I didn't write the book, you know. I didn't write it. 
This is God's world. These are his rules. These are his law. This is what it says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. So Oprah can say what she wants to, and Dr. Phil can say what he wants to, and all those talking heads on the, on the TV and the radio and everywhere else, they can say what they want to. But I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Bible is God's holy word, and I believe what it says. And I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Remember, we talked about that earlier, and most of you are in agreement, I believe, that Jesus is who he says he is, right? And if Jesus says, I am the only way, then how many ways are there? One. And that is through Jesus Christ. So the only way that we find our way into heaven, the only way that we have a place reserved at the banquet table with the Heavenly Father is through the Son, through Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus often uses uh, a lot of illustration when he's talking about um, heaven and who's going to get there. And in Luke chapter 13, Jesus here speaks of the narrow door, and he talks about a limited time to seek him as well. He picks up in, uh, in Luke chapter 13, verse 23, and he says, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, he will answer to you, I do not know where you come from. You see, we need to know whose we are. We need to know where we come from, and we need to know where we're going. See, here's the thing. I can stand before you today and I can tell you that I absolutely, you know, I'm not a fortune teller, don't get me wrong, but I can absolutely tell you what my future holds. I can absolutely tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that my future holds a place in heaven. Why do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit has given me that assurance. Why does the Holy Spirit give me that assurance? Because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And yeah, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of. I've made a lot of mistakes. But here's the thing. Again, when, when God looks at me, he doesn't see me and the flawed person that I am. What he sees is Jesus Christ shining through me. And Jesus is perfect. He was that perfect sacrificial lamb. He laid down his life. He paid the price. He shed his blood so that you and I can be forgiven of our sins. But you see, Jesus did what then we also could not do on our own, and that is three days after Jesus died on the cross, he got up and he walked out of the grave. How many of you have ever walked out of a grave? <laughs> Looks don't count. Because Jesus is looking through the inside anyway. And we all pretty much look the same from the inside out. You see... We can't do that on our own. We can't bring salvation, and we have no place in the resurrection on our own. But through Jesus Christ, there is good news. You see, and that is the, the good news of Jesus, the whole picture from beginning to end. It all begins with that accepting and believing in who Jesus Christ is. So this morning, I hope that you can, beyond a shadow of a doubt, stand here and say that you know your future. You know, Jesus said narrow is the door because there aren't a lot of people, of all the people that we know, that not everybody is going to accept. And there are some who are going to want to accept, but it's going to be too late because the door will be closed. 
Right now, the door is wide open. That's why we, if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we need to be living this life, this, this basics kind of life. We need to get back to the basics of life. Because if you are already saved and you know the Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know where you're going. And it's a personal acceptance. It's a personal belief. So do you believe? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if you know that, then we need to live it. We need to make sure that we are living in the basics of life. Why? Because we need to make a difference. You know, one of the things we've been talking about over the last few weeks is, is God really trying to use one hope to make a difference in this community? And that means that we, who claim the name of Jesus Christ, need to live in such a way that we're reaching out in love to our neighbors. We're reaching out in love to those around us, to even people we don't like. And it's not always easy to love people we don't like. But if you've been married long enough, you probably all know that you can love somebody without liking them very much <laughs> once in a while. Watch it, Jim. Um, I'm just saying, you know that you know how it is. Now, that doesn't mean again, you, that you don't love them. And, and hopefully you come back to like them a little bit later on. But I'm just saying we have that responsibility because there are a lot of people around us that aren't just like us. They don't look like us. They don't think like us. They don't dress like us. But you know what? God's love for them is all the same. Don't think that just because you look like everybody around you and you act like everybody around you that you have some special blessing. Now, God will bless your life if you're seeking to honor him and live for him. But don't think that God's love doesn't extend the same for everyone, because it does. And God's will and God's design is that everyone come into that banquet hall. That everyone has a spot at the table. Everyone has a place in heaven for all eternity. But the reality is, is that Jesus came a long time ago, and he only spent about 33 years on this world. And really only three of it was in ministry, reaching out and building his church building the kingdom on earth. When he ascended back into heaven, that means he gave that, what we know as the Great Commission, to his disciples. And his disciples then have the responsibility to be Christ to the world, to be Jesus to the world. And that's not saying that we're gods or that we're messiahs, no, but that's simply saying that we have Jesus within us. We understand who Jesus is, and we have that responsibility to go into the world and to make disciples of all nations. So what are we doing? Are we accepting and believing and then taking it out? So that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks as we talk more about the basics of life. But again, this morning, those two questions. Do you believe and have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? If you happen to be here this morning and, and you can't say yes to either one of those questions, then I would love to talk to you. I'd like to talk to you more about what it means to, to accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and what it means then to live for Him who died for us. And again, we'll talk more about that over the next few weeks. But don't walk out of this place not being able to say yes to both of those questions without talking to someone, because I would love to speak to you this morning. Thank you for being here. I hope that the Lord has spoken to you and has touched your life. And um, again, look for opportunities to be a light into a world that is really just so dark all around us. Won't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word to us today and this reminder of 
accepting and believing who you are, that we have a place in heaven because of Jesus. And Lord, we just thank you so much for bringing us all together. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to lead us, to guide us, that we might be a shining light in this community, that we each and every one seek to, to get back to the basics of life so that others may know about the good news of Jesus Christ and that we might truly uh, see a changed community and world right around us. Lord, we just love you and we thank you. We just pray that you continue to uh, help us as we seek to honor and serve you so that you get the glory and your kingdom sees the increase. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be sure and check your, your bulletin again for all the things that we've got coming up and hope to see you all back here again next week. And Bring somebody with you. Have a great week.